Welcome to the New Beginning Fellowship Church Sermon Podcast. We are glad you are listening to the teaching of the Word of the Lord. We pray that this message encourages you and builds your faith. We also pray that this message is only supplemental to your spiritual growth instead of being a replacement for daily personal Bible study, the pastor you should be submitted to, or the church God would have you to be an active member of. If you live within driving distance of Brobridge, Louisiana, we hope that you would come to visit us during one of our services on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Service times, ministry information, and giving options are all located on our website at newbeginningfc.com or on our Facebook page at New Beginning Fellowship Church. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. Children, we need to improve as parents. Amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. Do you look at your kids and say, wow, there are a lot of things that I really hope changes between now and when they're 18? Amen? Well, your loving Father in heaven looks at you and sees you and says, I hope there's a lot of things that are going to change in you between now and when your children turn 18. Because they need some example of some things that maybe you're not exampling uh, right now and they need it before they leave home. And so that's, that's what is greatly uh, in my heart and they don't just need it before they leave home, they need it after they leave home, amen? Sometimes they need it more because how many of us can say maybe you remember a time to where you weren't looking very hard at your parents and the example they were giving because they were stupid and out of touch and they just didn't understand you and they didn't know any better and they were behind on the times and then you got a little bit older and you begin to think, you know, maybe they, they're on to something there and you begin to pay attention to their life after the fact. And so we need to make sure that we are moving, changing, being transformed by the grace of God to be better parents. Amen? So I want to talk to you tonight about graciously teaching children God's ways. Amen? Think carefully on each of those words. This was like a 12-word title that I had to whittle down to as few words as possible. So each of those words is important. Amen? Graciously teaching children God's ways. And so we need to instruct our children in the ways of the Lord, but the way and the method by which we do that is incredibly important. And so I ask you if you'll open your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 1 through 4. And then we're going to look at a bunch of different scriptures. Uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6. Yeah, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And then we'll look at a bunch of different scriptures. And then we'll come back to this text at the end. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, it starts off in a way that we can all agree with. Amen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. I mean, whoo, hallelujah. Amen. Right? I mean, you said, this is why I came. Teach on that for my children to hear. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger or wrath, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction 
in the Lord. And I want to focus heavily tonight on these ideas, on this idea from this sentence. Do not provoke your children to anger. This is specifically in the way that we train our children, in the way that we correct them, in the way that we instruct them, in the way that we teach them right and wrong, and we show them the things that they should be doing and not be doing, and correcting behavior and disciplining and punishing and giving consequences and reinforcing good behavior and discouraging negative behavior and all the things that we teach them. He says one very important qualifier that I need to give is not just that you need to teach your children. It's not just you need to instruct them. It's not just that you need to discipline them. But when you do it, you need to make sure that you don't unnecessarily provoke them, stir them, cause in them anger. Amen? And the fact that discipline and correction often... Uh, provokes anger, no matter how well it is done, camouflages sometimes our ability to interpret whether or not a child is doing what they're doing because they just don't want to listen or because the way that we did it, right? So isn't it easy to assume? I mean, just read Proverbs. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod. Right, shall drive it far from him. And so we, we get this idea, well, children, no one likes to be corrected. Children are naturally going to revolt, naturally not like correction and discipline. And so it's easy to assume that when they don't respond well, that it's because they're rebellious, because their heart is wrong. Maybe it's what's going on at school. Maybe it's what they're going, maybe it's because they're going through puberty. It's, maybe it's because they're being selfish and they're proud. Whatever the reason is, And maybe it's hard for us to go, well, what in the way that I communicated to them either helped or hurt their ability to respond with or without anger? And so this is what we must learn tonight, that in teaching God's ways to our children, we must do it graciously. Amen? Praise God. Let's ask God to help us tonight. Lord, I ask you that you would... Bring us to your word that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, that you would help us, that you would teach us. Lord, so many parents, including myself, long to be godly parents and long for our children to be godly. And many of us are tempted to be under condemnation for not being perfect parents. Lord, we don't want tonight to be another reason to make us feel awful about the kind of parents we are. We want tonight your word to be like a mirror that does show us our imperfections and the reasons that we need to change and the growth that needs to happen. But Lord, greater than that, let us see Jesus. Greater than that, let us see grace. Greater than that, let us see mercy. Greater than that, let us see God's ability to work through our feeble efforts to reach hearts even that at times we may have wounded or pushed away. And help us tonight to receive grace for ourselves that we might turn and give grace to our children. Help us tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. I start tonight with a quote from the life of Martin Luther, the great reformer, who began to understand the new covenant, the grace of God, the forgiveness that was in Christ, the salvation that was by grace, and he wrestled with Scripture and the texts of the Word of God and 
normal Catholic doctrine at the time. And as he wrestled with these things, uh, the priest that he was under sent him off to be a scholar and a student in the Word of God in a seminary somewhere to become a teacher. And he said, don't send me to go learn to be a teacher. I'm confused and conflicted about the Word of God. I have no business teaching other people. I'm tempted to contradict Catholic thought about what the Word teaches on grace. And I'm, I'm so conflicted, so confused, I shouldn't be teaching anybody. And with an incredible wisdom, his priest said to him, sometimes we learn the best by preparing to teach the things we need to learn most. Amen? You're, study, you're struggling with understanding the grace of God and the Word of God, then maybe what you need to do is go study how to teach and preach the Word of God to others, and in that process you'll discover more truth about it for yourself. Amen? And so I can honestly say that as I'm talking to you tonight, I'm not preaching to you from an ivory tower going, oh, if all of you parents would learn these lessons that I have learned and mastered, oh, how your lives would be better. I am preaching you not from the ivory tower, but from the lonely, miserable tower that Luther found himself in reading the Word of God and angry going, this doesn't, I don't see this in my life and I'm frustrated, right? And so I'm, I'm teaching to you what I am in the process of learning myself. Amen? Praise God. So the theme of this conference is taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? That's what we're talking about tonight. That's what we're emphasizing in this conference is we as parents are saying we have tasted the Lord. We have seen that He is good. His ways are good. And we're so in love with Him. Our desire is to be examples of that to our children and invite them in to taste and see for themselves. Amen? That this is what we want. We don't just want top-down authoritative, you will not do these things. We want them to come to God and go, Oh, that's wonderful. And want it for themselves. This is an invitation to sample a relationship with the Lord and walking in His ways. And the reason for the sampling is to test a hypothesis. And the hypothesis is this, that God is so good and His ways are so much better than the ways of the world that if we really experience His sweetness, the sweetness of His ways, their purity and their nourishment, that we will want more of it. Amen? This, this is the hypothesis. This is what we're saying. We believe that if this happens, if our children can taste it, they'll want it. Amen? And so I have uh, two picky children. I won't name them because I'm not trying to be one of those uh, preachers that always brings out their kids' junk in the pulpit. Uh, but two picky eaters in my house, and I have to fight with them to try everything. Something that they can love one day, and the next day you make it thinking this is going to be an easy meal. They love this, and they go, I don't want it, and they're disgusted by it. And I am forced to coerce them, right? Duct tape them to a chair, open their mouth. No, right? I'm talking about not. <laughs> Being graciously teaching your children, maybe that's not the best way. But uh, recently I did that with one of my children. They didn't want it. They argued. I said, here, taste it. And he tasted it. He goes, mmm, good, more, right? And I'm like, see, I told you you would like it, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm not trying to shove it down your throat, but just try it, right? Give it a try. And that's what we're doing with the Lord. I don't want to shove him down your throat. I just want you to taste and see that he's better than the other ways, However, a great hindrance to this experience 
is to experience God in His ways in a compromised way. Specifically one that is lacking the seasoning of God's grace. Amen. You remember that statement in Ephesians chapter 4? Let all of your speech be seasoned with grace. You want somebody to accept it and take it down easier? Sometimes the words of the Lord are hard, right? Isn't that what Jeremiah said? God told him, take the words, fold it up, and you're going to eat it, and it's going to become bitter. It's a hard word. It's not pleasant. It's a hard word. The disciples say to Jesus, these are hard words to swallow. Literally, it's hard to get down. If it's hard to get down, if it's contrary to the flesh and temptation, then at least season it with grace so that it goes down easier. Amen? And so if our experiences are not seasoned with God's grace, it will be harder to have. Not only children, but many parents have viewed their relationship with God through a graceless lens, and they view Christianity as a heavy-laden effort to make their homes godly, and have found that it seems impossible or unpleasant. And many children's experience of Christianity is so lacking in grace that they don't believe God or His ways are sweet. They think that they are bitter, rough, and unkind, and they can't wait to get away from them. But we must teach our children God's ways. Amen? We've got to teach our children God's ways And we've got to show our children that God's ways are better ways. Amen? Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 to 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 to 9. And I'm going to try to read this quickly to you tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we'll read verses 1 to 9. It says, Now this is the commandment the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. This is Moses speaking to Israel. He's reminding them of the covenant that God gave them. He says that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. In other words, this is, this is generational, what I'm giving you. These are ways that are so good, not only should you walk in them, but teach them to your sons and your son's sons, and you want this to be something that is passed on from generation to generation to generation. He says, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Pay attention to this statement. He says, obey these things, remember these things, do these things. Why? That it might go well with you. I'm trying to train you and teach you that there are behaviors that are good for you. And if you obey me and you do these things that I tell you to do, your things will go well for you. Your life will be better. Amen? Praise God. Will your life be better if you don't steal all the time and get thrown in jail? Amen? Will your life be better if you don't cheat on your wife and end up divorced? Right? Will your life be better if you don't lie and bear false witness against your neighbor and then your neighbor hates you and doesn't like you and 
does everything they can to make your life miserable, right? In other words, you reap what you sow. And God's saying, I'm trying to teach you my ways because my ways have better consequences, better conclusions at the end. Amen? Praise God. And it's always this way. We've talked about this before. The difference between the ways of the Lord and the ways of the world are this. The ways of the world are easy up front. They're convenient. You're tempted, give in to temptation. It looks nice, enjoy it. You see an opportunity to have pleasure, take it, get it. It's so easy, it's right there, it's immediate, it's available. Just take the, the fruit off the tree and eat it, right? You see the money, no one's around, just grab it, take it. Easy up front, hard later, right? The, the ways of the world are the pleasures of the ways of the world are purchased on credit, right? And the way that credit works is it feels free now, but by the time you pay it off, you've not only paid the price for the thing, you've also paid not only the interest, but the compound interest, right? So the car that you got was 35000 That was what was on the contract. That was what was on the sticker. But by the time you got done paying the interest and all of those other things, you're paying 45000 maybe 50000 depending on your credit rating, all right? So you get the analogy. Is that simple enough? Um, Maybe, maybe make it easier for the kids. You don't have money. Someone goes, hey, do you want my candy bar? Yeah, I'll sell it to you for a dollar. Okay, a hey, dollar? That's cheaper than it is at the store. That's great. But every day you don't pay me, it's an extra 25 cents. Oh, and you get it on Monday and you pay it off on Friday, five days, 25, 50, 75, dollar, dollar 25. So now you're paying 225 for a dollar Snickers, right? So you see... You see, it's easy up front, but the Snickers is gone. And then you're sitting there with 225 going, I gotta give 225 away. You can't even taste it anymore. You don't even, you don't even remember what peanuts and caramel taste like. You're like chocolate. What's that? I just your mouth is just craving chocolate. And here you go with two dollars. You could buy two of them, and now you gotta give it away for something you don't even get to enjoy anymore. The ways of the Lord are hard up front. Resist the easy way. Resist the temptation. Do what is hard. Do what is inconvenient. Follow discipline. Follow the Lord. The, the ways of the Lord, this is a narrow path. Straight is the gate, narrows the way. Well, you can't grab a bunch of stuff and walk through a narrow gate. you got to lay all your fun stuff down and go through the gate. Well, this is awful. And then the way is cramped and narrow and small. This is not pleasant traveling. And then you get at the end of it, Streets paved with gold, right? Amen. Whoa, the ways of the Lord are better ways. I didn't lay up treasure on earth in a way that prevented me from getting to the Lord. Whatever the Lord said, lay down, I laid down. And I, I got many good things, but I laid down some things that felt like good things. But then at the end, I got a crown of righteousness. Then at the end, I got a crown of life, right? So it's hard up front, much better later. Amen. So that's the difference between credit and say investing, right? Investing, right? You compound interest. I think I heard the other day if you put $300 a month into a 10% per year compounding interest account and you do it for only 8 years, at the end of that 8 years it's what I forget, something like $24,000 or something like that, but you let it sit in that account for 40 years, and at the end of it, you have $1.8 million, 
right? You never gave past that. Eight years of just saying, I'm going to sacrifice $300 a month. Sounds so awful. $300. That's a car payment, right? I could trade in that beat up, ugly expedition I got out there with the cracked windshield and the, the window that won't roll down on this side and the rims are ugly. Like, it's just, you know, I don't want something with 250,000 miles on it. I'd rather have something better. Put $300 a month to the side for only eight years. And at the end of 40 years, it's compounded to where now you've got 1.8 million, right? Hard up front, reward later. This is the ways of the Lord. He says that it might go well with you. Amen? That's the simple point, that it might go well with you. He says, to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. And he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I commend you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them. Listen to this. These words that I commend you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently over and over. All the time. All the time. Why? Because we're slow learners. Our children are slow learners. So you've got to repeat the lesson and tell them again and tell them again. And one child will understand it with one illustration and the other child will go, i got no idea what you're talking about. Right? And, and you need to teach them a different way. And that takes effort and time and energy. But he says, do it diligently. Teach them diligently with good effort to your children. And you shall talk of them when? When you sit in your house. When you walk by the way. When you lie down. And when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on their hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house. And on your gates. Surround yourself with the word of God. Surround yourself with the instructions of the Lord. All of the time. Just talk about them in random conversations. How good it is to, you know, it, it's good entertainment. Let your children watch a, a movie if it's appropriate or good for them. But how well is it afterward to sit down and talk with them and discuss the things that they watched, the things that were good, the things that were bad, the things that presented a healthy good worldview and the things that portrayed a negative worldview or another belief system or another ideology and you get to talk with them about those concepts in light of the word of God amen can I tell you I found that those things are much easier than the way that I tried I tried to teach my children like we were in Bible college all right everybody sit down we're gonna sit down we're gonna read these verses together then I'm gonna go back and teach you word by word what these things mean and our children are just going Lord Come quickly. Could you just return? Take us home to be with the Lord, right? I mean, they're just praying for the rapture. Um, but he says, do it in the small things, the everyday things. Bring them up to your children in the little moments. Just let it surround your life. And so here we're plainly told that we must teach our children the ways of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the instructions of the Lord. Let me ask you tonight, what are the ways of the Lord? If we're talking about discipline, correction, teaching, teaching our children commandments, statutes, the ways of God, the instructions of the Lord, what are the ways of the Lord that Moses commissioned the Israelites to teach their children? And do they have any application for us today? The whole of the law, but all of the law 
is condensed into the Ten Commandments. So when he says, teach them to your children, he's saying, specifically in their context, it's the law of Moses, the Old Covenant. And these are the whole law, 600 plus laws, he says, but they were condensed into the Ten Commandments. And from these instructions, the whole of the Word of God, including the morality instructions of the New Testament, find their roots in these truths, in the Ten Commandments. And so I'll, I'll look with you real quickly at what the Ten Commandments are. You don't have to turn there. You can find these in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 through 17, and Deuteronomy and other places. But uh, do we have the image up on the screen? Do we have that? You forgot it? It's all right. Maybe the Lord will forgive you. No, I'm playing. You can bring it up real quick if you can. The Ten Commandments of the Lord. And, and let's consider not only the commandments of the Lord, but how they are good, right? Simple, short instructions. How... What are the commandments of the Lord and how are they good? Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. This was teaching the Israelites that you were created for worship and other things are always competing for the place of worship in your life. Everything, everything is competing for worship in your life. You were made to worship. You were created to worship. Your hands made for clapping. They're made, amen, clapping, right? Right, there we go. Let's clap, all right? You were made for clapping, right? Raise them, right? You made to raise your hands to where knees are meant for kneeling. You're meant, your, your whole body, everything about you is created for worship. You see, even in the book of Revelation, portrayals of creatures that were specifically made for worship, right? You have uh, around the throne of God four creatures, living creatures, that it says are full of eyes. In other words, God made this special creature whose sole purpose was to sit before the throne of God and be able to see Him in a way and from angles and perspectives that no one would ever be able to, just to take in all the majesty, beauty, and glory of God. And what does it say? They surround their throne and day and night they don't cease to cry, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so He created these things for worship but He created us for worship. And so, sports figures, celebrities, romantic interests, money, all the things that you could imagine, all the good things of the world, the temptation is to let those things become idols. Right? Money can become an idol. Amen? Romance can become an idol. I can't tell you how many people I've seen walk away from the Lord because they would rather be with someone that they just really want to be with than to be faithful to the Lord. And they knew. They felt it in their heart. This is wrong. This is not pleasing to the Lord. This is not who God says I should be with. They're not walking in the ways of the Lord, but I want them so badly. They're so important to me that I will choose them over the Lord. What do you call that but idolatry? And so it's teaching your children that... There are things that compete for the place of worship in the life of your children. Sometimes their greatest cravings, the things that drive them mad, are the things that they love more than they should. And we have to not only say, you don't get that. We should teach them, hey, maybe the reason you're reacting so bad to not getting this thing that you want so much is maybe it's become more important to you than it should. Have you considered that, son? Let's think about that. Let's pray for that. 
Do you behave well when you play your, you know, your video game nine hours a day? How is your attitude? How is your heart? If I tell you that you don't need to talk to this person anymore, that's not leading you to good behavior, does, is, that, is that maybe a sign that you care more about that person than you do your character? Has it become too important for you? Uh, what about you shall make no idols? He says, first, you have no other gods before me, but don't make idols. Don't create things to worship. Don't be so bored with God that you go create other things that you can give your affection to. He shows, says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This can be understood in, in several different ways. One is the Lord's name is so holy you shouldn't say it flippantly and lightly that it should be treated with reverence and honor and care. And how would you feel if somebody used your name as a cuss word? Right? And so treat it with reverence and honor and care. One commentary said that the word take uh, and do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain can also be translated as carry. And the idea is don't attach yourself to the name of God and bear the name of God and bear the name of Christian and say the things I'm doing in the name of the Lord or the things I'm doing, I'm doing in the name of the Lord, but you're doing it in vain. You're not really representing Him. You're saying I'm representing God, but my behavior doesn't look godly. It doesn't look like the Lord. And so he says don't carry the name of the Lord in vain. It's up on the screen. There we go. Also, verse 4, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Right? The Jews were told, remember the seventh day. This is a day that you are to rest because you're to take this day and remember that in six days God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. And Jesus said that the Sabbath was that man was not made for the Sabbath. God didn't create you to keep a rule. He says the Sabbath was made for you. It's a good thing that I give you rest. That I allow you to rest, and it's a day not only to rest but to remember God, to think on God and say, I can stop working because God never does. Amen? Right? How many husbands feel that pressure of the finances, the responsibility? i got to feed my kids. i got to pay the bills. i got to take care of my family. i got to make a way for them. And I have to work as often, as much, as long and hard as I can. And I can never stop because the bill collectors are chasing me down, trying to consume me. And I've got to provide for my children. And God says, you can take a break. You can rest. You can be at ease. You can be at home and take time to worship God because you can stop working because God never does. Amen? That when you quit working, God will keep taking care of you and your needs. Amen? How much does that apply to us in the new covenant where we're not only commanded to keep the Sabbath, to take a day of rest, but also to gather together and worship on the first day of the week because Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Amen? Praise God. Y'all paying attention? Y'all tired, spacing out? I know it's Friday night, end of a long week. It's 8 o'clock, but hey, listen. The correlation here is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. A day a week, every time, celebrate the name of the Lord. Here the instruction for the New Testament is Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week, which is a signal to you that if God rested on the seventh day and we should remember it and keep it holy because He finished creation on that day, but Jesus Christ rose from the dead, meaning that He's, as Romans 8 says, the first fruits of the resurrection, of the new creation. His physical body is the first thing that experiences the new heavens and the new earth. 
Amen? Isn't that the promise of Revelation? That God says one day the heavens and earth will pass away. There will be a great sound fire. God will consume it all, burn up everything that's corrupted, rotten, destroyed, and there will be a new heaven, new earth, no sin, no taintedness, no dirtiness, no thorns that are infesting the ground. The curse is removed and only blessing. And the glory of God will fill the earth. And the word of the Lord says that Jesus on the first day rose, symbolizing the new creation. Amen? And so on the first day of the week, we gather together to worship and remember the scripture, uh, Revelation 21.5, Behold, I make all things new. And so you sit in church on a Sunday morning, discouraged, weary, eaten up with cancer, and you gather together to worship on the first day of the week and say, Pain will not always be here. Cancer will not always be here. Disease, infirmity, struggle will not always be here. I am partaking in the first fruits of the resurrection because I am joined to Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead on the first day and He Himself is the promise that one day I will be raised a new creation. Amen? So remember the Sabbath day. Keep it whole. You shall not murder. Generally, society would better be better if we don't murder. Amen? Praise God. You, you want your children to know that? That we live in a generation where life is flippant. It costs nothing. This is why we see mass shootings. The, the, all of these people, can I tell you the things that are happening in our culture? Almost all of these young men that go out and do these wicked, evil acts, do you know the one thing that they all have in common? They were raised in a home without a father. They had no one to raise them in the ways of the Lord. And they are lost and they are wandering. And because they had no one to instruct them, no one to hold them accountable, no one to teach them and love them and nourish them and tell them what it is to be a man, no one to give them healthy avenues to express their their anxiety and their testosterone-driven uh, aggression, not, not healthy ways to do that, to put that aggression into work and labor and protecting a home and a family, building and laboring and doing something healthy with it. They just deconstruct, self-destruct, and they say, well, if I'm self-destructing, I'm going to take some people with me. Teach our children to value life. Teach our children to value life. Should not commit adultery. Wouldn't life be better? We never had adultery again. And isn't it wonderful that there is forgiveness for adultery? Praise God. He says, you shall not steal. Let me ask you kids, would it be better if you never had anything that was yours taken by someone else? Would that be better for you? Would you like that? Amen. Would that be a better society to grow up in? Amen. The ways of the Lord are good ways. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Oh, you teenagers. There will come a day where somebody's going to find some nice, juicy gossip to spread about you and say something. And nobody cares if it's true. Do you know what I heard? They say it on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, right? Whatever it is, say something about you. Wouldn't you rather grow up and live in a place where it was just generally understood? We shouldn't say hurtful, untrue things about other people. Isn't that a better way? Amen. And then lastly, you shall not covet. Don't want things that don't belong to you. And so we're to teach the ways of the Lord. But can I tell you tonight, we are to walk in God's ways because He has graciously saved us 
for better things. I'll read this, cha- this text to you real quickly. This is on, also Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is at the end of the chapter. It's the conclusion of these statements. And he says, yes, you're to teach your children and your family, generations to come, my ways. But why should you teach them my ways? Not just because God's ways are better, but because God has graciously saved us for more. Amen? This is the point. He says, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20 to 25. When your son asks you in time to come what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you, Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers." And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that He might preserve us alive as we are to this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. When your children want to know, Why do you live differently than everyone else? Why are you and God's people intent on being different than the cultures around you? And always, this is the problem. Israel, read Judges, read Joshua, read 1 and 2 Samuel, Chronicles, Kings. Read how many times over and over. They go, we want to be like the people around us. We want to be like the nations. We want to do the things they do. We want to worship what they worship. We want to live how they live. We want to practice the things that they practice. And he says, when your children go, why do we have to be different? Daddy, why do we have to act different and talk different and behave different? And why are we committing ourselves to do these things that are hard up front? Yeah, they pay later, but that's later. And I'm not worried about later. I'm worried about right now. Why do we have to be different? Because God graciously saved us for more. Because God rescued me from what I was, and I know it's hard for you to imagine what I was. I know it's hard for you to imagine the consequences of the behavior I'm trying to save you from, but son, that's who I was. I used to be that, and when God saved me, He put a burden and a vision in my heart for more and for better, and not only do I not want to be that again, son, I want to save you from being that. And so we teach our children that the reason we do differently is because of God's grace. Amen? It is because of grace that we live differently. And if all you teach your children is the law and the standards and the commandments and the thou shalt nots and the thou shalt and you should do these things, your children will hate and resent the ways of the Lord. Amen? Praise God. Thanks, guys. That was a good try. Amen. I appreciate the clap. Out of the mouth of babes. No. If we just give our children cold commands that they have to obey, it'll seem like a burden. It'll seem awful to them. We've got to say, the Lord 
saved me by grace. The Lord is changing me by grace. And I'm trying to do the same to my children. The gracious way that God saved me, the gracious way that he wooed me and drew me and dealt with me patiently when I was rebellious and hard-hearted, that is the way that we must treat our children. Amen? Let me ask you, do you praise God for saving you in a way that you are not treating your own children? Do you think, man, God has been so gracious to me and your children never think that about you? I don't want my children to think that way about me. Not only should we teach children that we obey God because of grace, we must teach that grace is what helps us to obey God. Amen? We don't just say, well, God saves me, and I'm so grateful I've got to do what He says, and then I'll muster it out through effort. We've got to say, son, apart from the grace of God, I can't obey Him. And He's got to teach me how to do it. He's got to show me. He's got to empower me. He's got to help me. Can I ask you, do we treat our children that way? Do we say, Lord, unless you help me, I can never do it. And then point to our children and say, by sheer willpower, you better do it. You better stop disobeying. You better stop rebelling. You better do what I say. Do we give grace? Are we patient? Are we sowing mercy into their life? Titus 2, 11-12 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training disciplining, teaching. These are the words that it means. The grace of God has appeared, training, teaching, disciplining us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. How do we learn to renounce ungodliness? Worldly passions to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. In an age that's full of wickedness and pride and sin and evil and all the things that our culture is giving examples of around us and appealing to our heart and saying, do these things, act how I act, speak how I speak, be entertained by what I'm entertained by, love the things that I love. And we say, I don't want those things. I know that they're not good, but how do I renounce them? It is the active work of grace in our life. The Spirit of God working in us in ways that we don't deserve. Right? Because how many times have you rejected it? How many times have you ignored it? Can I ask you, how many times have you as a parent felt the tug of God's Spirit on your heart and you felt the presence of grace to help you not do a thing and you chose to do it anyway? And in mercy, He doesn't say, well, that's it, I'm done with you. But he keeps offering grace every day. More grace. More of his presence. More of his help. More of his love. More of his tenderness. More of his softness. More patience willing to wait for you to turn your heart. Does that sound like the way that we discipline our children? Don't make me get your kids up here to testify. No volunteers, guys. (laughs) So let's go back to our root text. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. He says, Fathers, 
fathers or fathers and mothers, both parents, but specifically fathers, do not provoke, stir up your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This verse implies that not all instruction and discipline is inherently provocative. So we can't always assume if my children is angry, if my child is angry, if they are rebelling, if they are frustrated that I told them not to do something, we can't assume that it is just because their heart wants to rebel. He says that there is a type of instruction and discipline that doesn't provoke anger. And there is a type of instruction and discipline that does provoke anger. That it frustrates them. Anger is often the consequence of frustration, right? I have never understood this like I do now, right? Having children, all the things of life accumulating, it just feels at times like there is a swarm of problems that have teamed up like some superhero villain crime spree that is intent on making my life hard, right? I mean, have I just described adulthood to anybody? And then, I mean, it's just like bills come in for the low blow and, you know, all the, I mean, just everything is fighting against you and you're trying to find solutions and trying to work things out And you just get frustrated and and sometimes the response is, I can't find a solution. I can't work things out. I'm angry. And I wonder how many times our children are struggling, frustrated, trying to learn all the things that they can to balance. And what's our response? You think your life is hard? You think life is, I walked 15 miles to school every day, uphill both ways, right? I only had one shoe in the wintertime, and I had to hop on one foot with the shoe on halfway there, switch it to the other foot, and then half hop the rest of the way on the other foot. And then when I got to school, I had to shovel the whole driveway in Louisiana. We don't have snow now, but we did then, right? I mean, I just... You know, and it's like nothing you're going through is hard. I went through hardship and you have no right to complain. And things that our children do seem ridiculous, but they've never been seven before. They've never been ten before. They've never been fifteen before. They've never handled these things before. And so very small things to them feel like very big things. What if God treated you the way that you treated your child? Did you just get short-tempered with your wife again? I just talked to you about this yesterday. I just told you, I'm sick of you leaving your socks next to the hamper. Put them in the hamper, son. I ain't trying to set y'all up for a bad conversation with your kids on the way home. I'm sorry, but... Like, you were fully prepared for me to call your kids out and you ride home with them, right? You were prepared for that? Amen? Praise God. Table's turned. There it is. So, um, maybe you don't practice confessing and repenting to your children. I do. Amen? My children will be able to say that I'm not a perfect father, but they won't be able to say I'm a hypocrite. You can believe that. I will own it when I make mistakes, brother. I will tell them, Daddy lost his temper. Daddy was frustrated. Dad didn't have the right response. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That was not a good portrayal of the Lord to you, son. I'm sorry. Right? And so he says that there is a type of instruction that doesn't inherently provoke anger. 
Can I say, if your child is angry, every time you discipline them, something is wrong. And we need to question whether or not it is the rebellion that is in the child or whether or not your method of communication incites anger. We need to ask ourselves, is the way that I'm disciplining my child provoking them to anger? Is the way that I'm dealing with their sin, is the way that I'm treating them, is the way that I'm talking to them provoking them to anger? This is what it says in Proverbs 15 verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. What is a harsh word? Spite. Spite is harsh. How many times is the harshness for our response to our children out of spite because they made life difficult for us? I'm trying to do the laundry. I'm trying to provide. I'm working 14-hour days. I'm trying to take care of you. I'm trying to provide a home. You are alive because of me, right? You eat because I bought food and I brought the food home and I cooked the food and I put it on your plate and now you don't want to eat the food. Fine, go to bed. I'm sick of it. I'm not listening to anything else. Whatever, son, because it's spite. The, you have made life hard for me and I'm so personally offended and hurt that I'm going to hurt you back. Spite. What about anger? Anger. Speaking harshly with hatred, cruelty in the way that we punish our children. That is another one. Do we give consequences or do we give punishment? Consequences or punishment. Consequences for bad behavior says... Son, I'm trying to teach you that when you do these types of things, bad things happen. Punishment says, I'm going to pay you back for what you did. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? You broke the TV because you were throwing the ball in the house, and I've told you not to throw the ball in the house, and the TV costs $300. Well, your video game costs $300, so we're going to take that outside and throw it on the ground because I'm angry. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to make you pay for what you did. Is that grace? There's a difference. What about belittlement? Belittlement is a harsh word. Make your child feel small. Make them feel silly. Make them feel unimportant because they would dare question you. What about dismissive? Is this not harsh when our children have legitimate emotional needs and we dismiss it? It's not important. I don't care. Stop talking. Go to bed. I don't want to hear it. No. <laughs> I'm not telling you stuff I heard other parents say, right? <laughs> Some of them. I don't want you to think I'm doing all of these. These are harsh words that provoke anger, that stir up anger, a frustration, right? How would you feel if every time you tried to bring a legitimate emotional need to your spouse, 
They say, I don't want to listen to it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't care. I've got too much going on. I've got to get dinner ready. I've got to get this done. I've got to get the clothes washed. I don't care. I don't want to hear it. He said, well, I was trying to solve what I'm going through so that we can have a healthier relationship, but now I'm conflicted and I'm frustrated, and eventually I get angry. These harsh words stir up anger in our children. It's where they hate our instruction and they hate our discipline. And then when we try to correct them, they don't want to hear it. The way that we correct our children shouldn't sound like a debate on YouTube. Just look at the titles for the videos that are on the internet, right? Ben Shapiro destroys woke liberal professor. Bill Maher eviscerates right-wing gun nut. Christian apologist dismantles argument of arrogant atheist. Right? And that's, that's the point. It's not to have a reasonable conversation that resolves an understanding and a better relationship and solves a problem. It's I'm trying to debate in a way that wins. And so you're going to say something to me and I'm going to say, oh yeah, well da-da-da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da, bam, mic drop. How many times has our discipline sounded like that and even worse in the name of the Lord? What if our conversations were recorded and put on YouTube? Is, is, that, is that the titles that would go there? Dad reminds son who's in charge. You don't pay the bills around here? Mom reminds daughter that she may have the attitude of a 30-year-old female CEO, but she ain't the boss in this house. Right? I don't know who you think you're bossing around, but you ain't the mama, so you can go clean up your room and your brother's room. That's right, the dirty socks too, right? Because we're speaking out of anger. I'm going to one-up you. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to put you in your place. Is that discipline? Let me... (laughs) Don't answer that way, Jonathan. Don't recognize that and go, that's what your discipline sounds like. No, don't do that. Is anything in that way of discipline going to make your child lay down at night, think of the instructions of the Lord, and think, these are sweet ways. These are good ways. Is it going to make them think, you know, I really want to serve the Lord when I'm older, and I want to be that kind of parent? Or does it make your child think, I want nothing to do with this? We must ask the Lord to teach us grace. For the last few years, my greatest plea has been, Lord, I don't want my children to hear me preach about a grace in the pulpit that they never see at home. And I'm still pleading. And I'm still asking. I'm still asking the Lord to show me how that looks. And how to do it. Right? And how to do it with six children. I mean, did you know that having six children would be hard? I mean, I didn't know. Just oblivious, right? I mean, who would have thought that it would be one emotional need after the other? One poor decision after another. And then the temptation would be to short, be short-tempered and say, Everyone go to their room. That's it. No talking. No breathing. If I hear you think, I will destroy all your toys, right? I mean, just who would have thought? 
someone should have warned us that a lot of children would be difficult. I mean, what a hard thing to imagine. I'm just playing. I wouldn't trade one of them. I'm happy to have them. I think that's all we got, though. Six is it. We done. We have crossed the finish line. But the constant desire of my heart is that my children would not just learn right from wrong, but they would see in me a personality and a character and a way of behavior that when they know the Lord the deepest, they'll recognize it and say, that looks a lot like daddy. I want my home to be a temple, a place where the presence of the Lord fills it and his sweetness is there and his ways are there and his heart is there and I want him to see his heart everywhere. I want him to see it in my discipline, in my instruction, in my patience, in my willingness to teach them a lesson and then teach it again tomorrow and teach it again tomorrow and teach it again tomorrow and teach it again the next day and give consequences, not punishment. Consequences, not punishment. Consequences, not punishment. To give helpful discipline, not spite. Helpful discipline, not cruel torture or punishment to get them back for the thing that they did to them. To help them become better people by the grace of God. And so I just say to you, do you expect grace from God to help you? And if you do, expect that in the way that you train your children and give it to them. And so I say to you tonight, we can do none of this. We can't do any of it. We just can't. But we have to trust that the blood of Jesus has purchased for us the right for the Holy Ghost to be at work in our life. To say, Lord, by your grace, I believe that I'm dead to sin. By your grace, I believe that the Holy Ghost can have his way in me. By your grace, I'm going to learn to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. And when he pulls on my heartstrings and says, that doesn't look like me, that I would not just repent later, but be able to hold it back and behave in a different way to my child. And so this evening, our only hope is the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. Because I can tell you tonight, if you're like me, after hearing these things, your heart probably isn't filled with hope. It may be a struggling with condemnation. It may be struggling with torment of going, maybe I'm not that kind of parent and I don't know how I will be. But tonight, if your gaze is moved from that image to the image of Jesus on the cross, you will remember that God saved you by grace God is at work in you by grace, and God will reach your children by grace. Amen? Praise God. Brother Isaac, can you come? And we're going to pray tonight, and we're going to ask God to help us. Amen? We're going to take just a few moments. We're not going to take long, but just a moment, and we're going to ask the Lord to minister to us, to touch our heart, and to help us be these kind of parents, and to partner with our children to see them become godly. Amen? This is something we should do together. Talk to your children about it. Amen? Talk to your children. Confess your sins 
to your children. Confess your weaknesses to your children. Confess your struggles to your children. Own them. Acknowledge them. Say, here are the ways that daddy is not a good example. Here are the ways that mommy is not a good example. But here is the grace of God that I'm expecting to help me. And son, it can help you too. Daughter, it can help you too. God can change both of us. Amen. God can be at work in both of us. Let's call on the name of the Lord together. Let's repent together. Let's ask for forgiveness together. Let's ask for the help of the Holy Ghost together. Let's believe God together for our home to be a sanctuary of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray tonight. Lord, I thank you that we are not condemned for our sins, not the sins of our past, of our rebellion, of our wickedness, of our ungodliness, of whatever things that we did before we knew the Lord. We're not condemned for our drunkenness or fornication or lying or vulgarity or anger or any of those things. But Lord, tonight we believe that we are also not condemned by our weaknesses as parents. That we are saved by the grace of God. That we are changed by the grace of God. That the blood of Jesus cries out over us, live forgiveness, mercy, reconciliation, holiness, sanctification. Lord, that together we will learn with our children to walk with God and to serve Him and to walk in His ways and to taste and to see that the Lord is good, that the Lord forgives and the Lord changes and the Lord reconciles and the Lord makes relationships whole and the Lord can get a hold of the heart of teenagers and children and infants. The Lord can get a hold of parents and family members. The Lord can reconcile whole homes and whole families and make them serve the Lord together and together say, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And together say, we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And we want more of Him. And we'll testify together this new covenant life, this life by the blood of Jesus, this life by the grace of God is a land flowing with milk and honey. Lord, Your ways are good ways. Help us tonight. Lord, we thank You in Jesus' name. Saints, can you stand up and just take a moment and worship with me and pray together and let's worship God. Let's thank the Lord. And I invite you children to join your parents in worship. Whatever you see them do, you do it. Amen. If you see them lift their hands, you lift your hands. If you see them praying, you pray. If you see them worship, you worship. Amen. So you parents, you set a good example for your children. Amen. Don't sit there hard-hearted and tired just because it's weary and you got held captive by a long-winded preacher. You worship. You pour your heart out to God and expect your children to follow your example. Amen. Are you guys going to worship with us? Amen. Are you going to ask the Lord to help us? Praise God. Do you need the Lord to help you? You're going to pray? You want mom and daddy to be nicer? Amen. Praise God. Get on your face and seek God. Amen. Pray for your parents. They're praying for you. Amen. They're praying for you. They're believing God for you. You believe God for them. You need grace. They need grace. You need a Savior. They need a Savior. Your daddy needs a Savior. Your mama needs a Savior. Your uncles, your grandparents, they need a Savior. They need Jesus to help them. Let's pray together tonight. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help us in Jesus' name. And let us worship you. Lord, we want to know you and pour our heart out to you. And Lord, we want to thank you for your great grace and be transformed by it in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship the Lord tonight. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus.